we will begin our uh, time together tonight, continuing in our series, uh, foundation, uh, uh, Foundational Beliefs. And we finished last week discussing us, things about us, where we came from and why we're here and what our problem is and where we're going. And I'd like for us to start a new topic tonight here at The Wall, uh, made up of strong, solid, rock-solid convictions, I hope based upon a good, accurate interpretation of the biblical perspective. And so tonight, I wanted for us to start this series on angels. And the reason for it is they're very interesting, aren't they? There are articles written about them. There are television programs that focus on them. And if you are like me, you have an interest in angels. They're unique and they're very, very interesting. And I don't think it's a problem at all for us to have a strong interest in angels. It could get to be a problem, however, if our interest in angels is being fed by information, let's just say, from sources not as reliable as the Bible. So once again, you remember as we were building this wall of doctrinal truth, uh, we started with the Bible. We take our marching orders from it. And so we want to consult the Bible when it comes to information about angels. And the Bible has so much to say about them. In fact, angels are mentioned in 34 books of the Bible. How many books of the Bible are there? Yeah, so you do the math, 34 out of 66 books very, very pointedly tell us things about angels. So let's take a look specifically, uh, do a little bit of a survey of Scripture to see what it has to say about these marvelous beings called angels. So let me call your attention to this first verse, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, just the first phrase, are they not all. So what we're about to read is characteristic of all angels. Are they not all, notice, ministering spirits? So that tells me something that I'll tell you right at the outset. Angels are spiritual beings. And as such, they're a whole lot different than human beings. We studied about us and what humans are made of, but angels are entirely different. They're distinct. And though they're distinct from us, they are able and they do enter into the sphere of human life. They're not human, but they enter into the sphere of our existence, though they be much different than us. For instance, did you know that angels do not die? Uh, perhaps that uh, comes as a surprise to you. It did for me when I first studied this topic. They're different than us. They're not subject to death. And as a result, their numbers never decrease. There was a time when the Lord Jesus was engaged uh, uh, in a conversation with some folks about people who are redeemed, people who accepted him as Savior, and who as a result were going to be raised from the dead when they experienced their own death. And this is the comment which he made about them. It's in Luke chapter 20, verse 36. He said, For neither can they, uh, that's his reference to saved people, neither can they die anymore. For they are, see it, like angels. Angels do not die. They're different than us in that respect. Not only that, did you know they don't marry? So they don't die? 
They don't marry. Some of you are equating the two, but there really is a difference. And so, again, uh, speaking about the situation concerning those who are saved, the Lord Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So angels don't die and angels don't marry. And angels, did you know this, do not reproduce. There is no procreation amongst angels. Each angel, instead, is a result of the direct creative activity of God. That's what we read in Psalm 148, verses 2 and 5. Praise him, the psalmist says, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. So that's how angels came to be. They're different than us. They don't die. They don't marry. They don't procreate. God created them. Well, when did he create them? Well, here's where well-intentioned Christians differ. There are many different theories about when in biblical history, God created angels. Some, for instance, say he did so on the first day of creation when he created the heavens, some believe, he created the angelic host as well. Others say, no, they were created, angels were, prior to the creation of the world. I, for one, do not know for sure. And if you have better information about it than I do, I would love to hear from you. We know that God did this. I think we're a little uncertain, can't be quite too dogmatic about when, in fact, he did so. We do know for sure that they are created beings, and as such, they are less powerful than God. I think the world's fascination with angels has to do with the fact uh, that they would rather uh, engage themselves in a preoccupation with angels than in an accountability relationship with the creator of the universe. Make no mistake about it. Uh, God is categorically different than angels. He is all-powerful. They are not. He is unlimited. But angels, being created beings, are limited. For instance, an angel can only be at one place at a time. But God, remember a long time ago we spoke about it, is omnipresent. He is everywhere and at the same time. So though angels are limited, there are a lot of them. How many? Well, the Bible doesn't exactly tell us specifically how many angels there are, but it does tell us there's a ton of them, multitudes. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. And I looked, says John, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So there are an innumerable number of angels, but the specific number is known only to God. They're not only numerous, they're very, very powerful. So says Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, mighty in strength. All it took, for instance, was one angel to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. All it took was one angel to roll away uh, this stone which... 
uh, uh, guarded the tomb in which the Lord Jesus was laid. All it took was one angel to kill all of the firstborn in ancient Egypt. Now, the fact that angels have such great power is both good and bad. And the reason why their power is both good and bad is that there are both good and bad angels. We can refer to good angels as elect angels, if you will. And we can refer to bad angels as fallen angels or, can you think of another name for fallen angels? Okay, so that's what a demon is. A demon, and we're going to speak of demons, Lord willing, in subsequent weeks. A demon is an angel who followed the chief fallen angel in a rebellion, a prideful rebellion against God. What's the name of the chief fallen angel? Yeah, the devil or Lucifer or Satan. And Lord willing, next week, we'll start talking a little more specifically and particularly about the character of Satan. So you have angels elect, and then you have angels evil. And so the fact that they have powers both good and bad in accordance with how they are exercising it. Now we read about this, this contrast in the angelic host in Matthew chapter 25 verse 41. Depart from me, accursed ones, says the Lord, into the eternal fire which has been prepared, notice, for the devil and his angels. So um, uh, for some here, maybe this sounds a little far-fetched, but not for those of us who hold to the reliability of the Scriptures. It doesn't sound far-fetched at all because the same book that tells us about the Savior tells us about Satan. So um, our confidence in the Scriptures is what helps us to believe and understand that this is really true. They exist. There is an angelic host. Now, how did some angels get to be so bad? All angels were created as perfect, sinless, holy beings. But about a third of them rebelled against God and fell from their high and sinless position. Satan being the leader, as I mentioned, of these demons or fallen angels. And we're going to talk in great detail about him in subsequent weeks, but for now, let me just tell you, he hates God. And therefore, he hates those of you who are gods. And I think if you know that, it'll explain a lot. <laughs> you won't think you're subject to whimsy, chance, unfortunate events. You won't wonder any longer why your life at times is a bit of a struggle. You won't wonder why even you, a redeemed son or daughter of God, uh, still is subject to physical illness, uh, accidents, things like that. If you can understand the existence of Satan and his evil host, if you can understand the intense hatred he has for God and those whose purpose is to glorify God, you'll understand why you're targeted and it'll explain a whole lot to you that's not available to other people. You'll understand there's a cosmic battle behind the scene. But it's just as real as what you do see, what you and I do see. You'll understand it's a terrible, terrible, fierce battle on the part of the evil one to be God. 
to be like God, to receive the worship only due creator God. And you're in the way of it, and I'm in the way of it. And that's why the Christian life is a bit of a challenge and a bit of a struggle. Please don't worry about that, for he who is in us is far greater, don't you see? So in this battle between angels evil and angels elect, angels evil have less strength because remember they're under the command of Satan who we already established is simply a created being. We don't want to underestimate Satan's power but we don't want to overdo it either. We cannot make him God's equal. He's not. He is God's inferior and so angels elect under the command of Almighty God have much more strength and resource and capacity to do things on behalf of God's glory and the good of his people than angels evil. So if you're a Christ one, if you're redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to tell you, you're in really, really good hands and you're in good potential shape. You're on the side of the one who has all power. He is omnipotent, not limited in any way. So, there is this cosmic battle going on. <clears throat> Not all angels involved in the struggle have equal authority and serve the same functions. Uh, for instance, there seems to be, as you read the Bible, orders or levels of angels. In two passages of Scripture, for instance, we find the word archangel. Have you heard of that one? Before archangel, it's used, for instance, with reference to Michael the Archangel. Does anyone happen to know what book he is mentioned in as the Archangel? Michael the Archangel? What'd you say? I can't hear you, so I'll say you're right. It's actually, you said Jude, didn't you? Okay, which Jude and Revelation? He's referred to as Michael the Archangel in the little small book called Jude. And the word, as you study it, suggests a higher rank, a chief rank or position. Then there's the angel. Do you know the name of another archangel? Yeah, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. Gabriel also seems to perform rather uh, lofty and special functions. He was sent, for instance, to Mary. Miriam at the birth of Jesus and to Zechariah to announce to him uh, the impending birth of John. So there are, are archangels and then there are the cherubim. See the ending im? It's a Hebrew word. Whenever you see a word ending in I am, it simply means plural. A cherub is one. Cherubim plural, more than one. And cherubim, uh, they're angels who seem to be a rather specialized class of angels who function as guards or attendants or protectors of the divine throne of God and his holiness. You want to hear an irony? I'll show you next week when we get together. Satan belonged to this class of angels. He, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, was a cherub. And he was given the great responsibility and privilege of being a guardian of the holiness of God. He was a cherub. And look what he did. Heavens, look how he fell from that position. And then in addition to cherubim, have you heard of these? Seraphim. 
A seraph is one. Again, seraphim, many. The word means in Hebrew, the burning ones. They burn uh, with a sense of righteousness. And they perform a ministry, a kind of, of punishment. Seraphim seem in the Bible to carry out um, penalties uh, ordained by God in the event of the sin of various people and nations, seraphim. So there you have it, different categories or orders of angels. So what do they look like? In Jewish theology, um, I say Jewish theology rather than biblical theology. According to Jewish tradition, um, everyone has an angel that looks like you. So that's, that's a scary thought. So, so, I mean, in my case, there's a little short uh, gray-haired Jewish angel running around, apparently. So, you know, in the biblical theology, there's no such, there's no basis for that. It's just religious human tradition. We don't exactly know what they look like. I mean, they're not humans, you see. Remember, they're spirit beings. But though they are not humans, they sometimes appear as humans. How could that be the case? Well, it must be the case if you believe in Hebrews 13, chapter 2. Check it out. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Think about it. Uh, just another incentive given to us to be kind to one another and gracious to all people because you never know when you are entertaining an angel in the form of a human. This is a marvelous, marvelous verse of Scripture. Well, if this is the case, why don't they appear more often? I mean, if they're so cool, and they are, and they're so interesting and wonderful and powerful, why don't they appear more often? Well, there's an easy answer. Uh, they are God's secret agents, not publicized agents. They're God's secret agents. And as such, it's not their intent to draw attention to themselves. They only appear to do God's bidding. Remember, they're ministering spirits. And so one of the reasons why we may not be as aware of angels as we ought is because they're doing their job pretty well. They're really doing their job really well. The mere fact that we're not that aware of them tells me they're doing a good job. They don't want to call attention to themselves. And so generally, they're invisible. But if we could remove the veil which, which exists and which separates our vision from the unseen spiritual world, we would see that there are angels all around us. That, that is the very thing that happened once in the Old Testament. There was a prophet... You've heard of him named Elisha, and he had a servant. And Elisha was concerned because he noticed his uh, servant was becoming overwhelmed with anxiety and fear uh, with regard to uh, an army, an enemy army that was surrounding the city. And so Elisha did the right thing. He prayed to Almighty God on behalf of his servant. And Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes uh, would be opened to such an extent that he could see God's otherwise invisible hosts who were camped out there in order to provide protection. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, we read, And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Isn't that good? Do you believe that? I'm telling you, it's right there in the Bible. Once you establish the reliability of the scriptures, the inerrancy of the scriptures, ah, oh, you don't labor anymore about, how could this be? Is it true? Yes, it's true. So there are angels all around us. So I know this is the question on your mind. Do they have wings? I know, I know you lose sleep over that one. And, and, and the answer is yes. Uh, a scripture describes cherubim and seraphim, those two categories of angels, as being winged beings. However, wings n seem not to be associated uh, with other classes and categories of angels. And now, certainly when an angel appears in human form, they don't have wings, right? Because they, they would like blow their cover <laughs> if they did. So they don't all have wings, but do they fly? Do angels fly? Uh, the answer is yes, they do. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel doing what? Flying in mid-heaven. How could they fly if they don't all have wings? Don't they need wings? Don't they have to flap? No, no, no. They're spirit beings, and therefore as spirit beings, they can circumvent the effects of gravity. Remember, don't put them in the same category as you. You can't fly, but angels can so what exactly do angels do be besides flying around in mid-heaven? Well, I refer you back to the verse with which we opened, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 14. We'll read the rest of it. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service? Look, for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Wow. So the primary purpose of angels is to serve as God directs on our behalf. They are his agents and messengers to accomplish beneficent purposes on behalf of the redeemed. And so they have guarded God's people throughout human history. Psalm 91 verse 11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. If we had the time and I wanted to take a risk and I don't and we don't. I would say to you, have you had an encounter with an angel? Could you share? Could you share how God has used one of his ministering spirits to intervene? I was riding back from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, um, was it Monday? Lost track of time. Monday. And uh, I had a very late night over there. And we, we uh, a few of us, we, we, we helped out and loading up a truck. My son and daughter-in-law sold their house from there. And so uh, uh, her father and his father and brothers, we went to help out. We worked late and it was rough. And, and so then I was driving back the next day and it was raining and I was dog tired and all the rest. And uh, I fell asleep. Uh, I mean, you're talking about I-10. It's busy. There's construction. You know how it is. There's all kinds of stuff. And uh, I woke up. <laughs> I didn't tell you this. <laughs> I, I, I woke up uh, just in time to correct the direction of the car, which was then peeling off into an embankment. <sighs> I am persuaded. You don't have to be. That's not my purpose to persuade you about a personal experience I had. I am persuaded. 
that God sent a ministering spirit to guard me and protect me. Do you realize you and I, we are immortal until the time when God calls us home? Do you realize we're not going to pass one second before <laughs> he calls us home? There's no such thing as accidents <laughs> for the people of God. Every day has been ordained for us. And even when we get goofy, as I was, driving too tired, and Mark, I ate a little too much Cajun food, and you know how that settles in the stomach. <laughs> uh, so, so, so even when, when one drives drowsy and all the rest, uh, God can take care of us. Now, I know you have stories like that, much more dramatic and exciting. So does each person, therefore, have a guardian angel? No. Better than that. The scriptures give indication that we not only have one assigned guardian angel, it says something much better. The scriptures indicate, in fact, that there are innumerable angels at God's disposal to assist and to protect believers. One day, we're going to stand before Almighty God, and, and what we see only partially, we'll see fully. And we're going to say, thank you, Lord. I didn't realize, I didn't see. Oh, you know, here's what we're going to say. I know it, all of us. We're going to say, oh, I should have trusted you more. Oh, you gave your angels charge concerning me. My existence wasn't a function of whim or accident or good luck. <laughs> Come on. No, it was orchestrated, it was predestined. It was purposed. It was planned. You took care of the end from the beginning, and you had this thousands, myriads of myriads of angels available, oh God, at your bidding to do things for your glory and on behalf of the good uh, of your people. Now, one of the main things that angels do besides delivering us and protecting us and getting us out of tight situations and delivering us from harm is to worship God. They really worship God. We can learn from angels. I love Revelation chapter 5, 11 and 12. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I don't know what the form and style of their worship is. <laughs> we'll find out one day. But I know what the substance and content of their worship is. We ought to be more like angels. Do you know a sad thing? One time a lady told me, I couldn't enter into worship because I didn't like the songs. <gasps> I felt so sorry. No, I felt so angry. <laughs> Let's just admit it. Come on. Well, who's the worship for? <laughs> if you couldn't enter into worship because you didn't like the songs, then apparently the worship is for you. But the wor if the worship is based on the lamb who was slain, and if he's worthy of receiving power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
who cares what the musicology is? You care too much. I just want to be a little more. I, I want to be a little more like an angel, don't you? When it comes to worship, we worship because of the character and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I can make up for um, songs maybe that I miss from time to time by CDs. That's why God created CDs. You know, just go listen to them. You know, angels are not only interested in unbridled worship. The one time I heard a person say, I can't enter into worship because I, I, the people around me, they had a certain posture that was disturbing to this person. Could I be honest with you? I don't care what you do. Just don't fall on me <laughs> when you do it. I really don't care what you do. Just don't fall on me. Because I'm not coming for you. You're not coming for me. You're not answerable to me. I'm not answerable to you. Worship has to be centered on the Lamb who is worthy. You want to know something? You can worship even if it's hard to get out of these chairs. It really doesn't bother me that the chairs are a little old and needing a replacement. I don't really care. I'm not coming here for the furniture. Are you? I got good furniture at home. I don't really care about the chairs. I don't really care about the colors. I don't really care. This is really, really radical Christianity. I don't really care about the temperature in here. I'm just really not ready to withdraw my membership if it's too hot or cold. I just don't really care care. No, I shouldn't say that. Sure, I care. We want to do better, create an environment conducive to worship and not distract one another from worship. You know what I mean. But what you do, I'm not going to let distract me from the prize. The prize is to worship the Lord. See, Revelation 5 concerns us. I'm getting there. You're getting there. Now's the time to practice being a worshiper because that's what's going to happen there. I'm just not going to sit here with my arms folded, refusing to participate because the words are a little familiar. I don't know the musical notes. Big deal. Even if I had the notes, I don't sing on tune. Do you? <laughs> what good are the notes? Most of us don't sing on tune. We're horrible. I know. I sit next to some of you. It's just, <laughs> it's just so bad. It's not about that. The father loves it just like a grandparent loves a house full of grandchildren. And they're not orderly and they're just all doing different things and they're kind of making a mess of the place. But the granddad or the grandmother just loves that the grandchildren are gathered together at their homes. And we gather for worship. That's, what, that's why we do. I just want to be more like a Revelation 5, 11, and 12 angel. Well, they're not only interested in worshiping God. You know what they're interested in? They're interested in God's plan of salvation for men. So I'm so grateful to our missions ministers and to Wes for uh, lovingly reminding us of how we ought to share the gospel because angels are very interested in God's plan of salvation. Listen, Luke 15, 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over 1,000 sinners who repent. 
over one. <gasps> over one. Have you been watching our television program? Real life, real answers, living proof. I tape them because we're supposed to come here on Sunday. <laughs> so I tape them. And uh, uh, I was sharing with the Mark and some of our TV people, I hope a word of encouragement, that title, Real Life, Real Answers, I think that show is really living up to it. I watched the one on the Zimbabwe, a Zambian missions trip. Oh, we saw people baptizing and we saw people preaching. I watched the one on Zeke and the prison ministry and going into schools. You talk about real life, real answers, living proof. I watched the one about, remember the young man who was missing? We were all so concerned, and his family desperate came. And our church rallied, did what they could. We prayed. We opened up the buildings and so on. And I saw it, and I, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's living proof. And then the most recent one I watched, did you see this one? The marvelous story. By the way, Brother John, you're fantastic on it also. I don't want to leave you out. Really fantastic. No, I really mean that. Our pastor is believable. And that's the thing people are looking for. Authentic Christianity. You really, you listen to him. You believe, he believes what he's saying. It's really, really good. It's so good. You, you make sure you watch it. Anyway, I watched this recent one. A young girl in our church during vacation Bible school leading her friend to the Lord. Wasn't it good? Oh. And I believe the young girl who came to the Lord, her name was Hannah. Oh, a new life in Christ at a young age. And I thought, I thought about Luke 15, 10 with regard to, to Hannah. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over Hannah, who repented, who turned even at a young age from self to Savior. This is what angels are into, worshiping God and God's work of redeeming lost people. Angels are very cool. That's what the Greek word says. <laughs> How then should we respond to them? Would you allow me to tell you this? We should not try to contact them. Don't do it. We should not try to contact. Why not? Because they're God's ministering spirits, not yours. They're God's agents, not yours, not mine. They're commissioned by God. They're sent out by God, not by you, not by me. We shouldn't contact them. There are books that have been written. Listen to the titles. Ask Your Angels. No, Ask Your Savior. How about this book, 100 Ways to Attract Angels? Ah, oh, no. Do you know the Bible not once encourages us to do that, to contact angels? Angels don't call attention to themselves. They're God's servants. So when people start calling out to and upon angels, you know what kind of angels are answering? It's not angels elect. It's angels evil. We'll talk in greater detail about this, Lord willing, in weeks ahead. Oh, yeah, there are powers and principalities 
of the air. They're spirit beings, and so until they materialize, you and I don't see them. But you know, the ultimate reality is really the, the reality of the unseen, not the reality that we do see. So when you're calling out to angels, the wrong ones are listening and are responding. So when you try to contact angels, you're probably going to succeed in making contact with demons. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, you see, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Even the least discerning of us would be repulsed by Satan unmasked in his evil nature. Therefore, he's a master of disguise. And therefore, his underlings do the same. Ask God for discernment. You know what? gift, spiritual gift I would rather have our church have than preaching or evangelism or mercy or giving, the gift of spiritual discernment. We really need it today more than ever before. The gift, the capacity to discern the spirits. What am I hearing from? What are they telling me? Whose side are they on? So don't call upon angels for healing Call upon the great physician for healing. Don't call upon angels for prosperity. Call upon your God who intends to meet all of your needs exceeding abundantly. Don't call upon angels for guidance. Call upon Almighty God who will say, I will guide you with my right eye upon you. Don't call upon angels for teaching. Go to the Word of God for that. Scripture never once mentions calling out to angels. We are to pray to God alone. But New Age thinking does the opposite. It gives strong encouragement to us to contact angels by something called, have you heard of this? Channeling. Spirit beings being a channel of blessing, of benefit, of guidance, of wisdom to you. Well, folks, that's called spiritism. And I know God hates it because he has said so. It's a very serious sin. New Age thinking tells us to summon up angels through repetitive chanting of a mantra or through visualization. Some of this has encroached even upon our Christian circles. You know, visualize what you want and you will have it. Repeat it again and again and you will have it. Uh, that's New Age thinking in the church. Be very careful about that. Angels come and go as God commands them. You don't have to summon them up. Don't visualize them. You cannot. You ought not do it yourself. We're not called upon to call upon angels, nor are we called upon to worship them. But I tell you, if an angel were to walk in here, fly in here, float in here tonight... Right now, you, I, would probably be tempted to worship it. That happened to one you might not have expected to be given to it. None other than an apostle, the apostle John. Listen to Revelation 22, 8 and 9. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship. Notice at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, don't do that. 
That's what the angel said. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. He meant the Bible. The angel said, don't give me worship. Worship God. So then angels are really wonderful, but angels are not to be worshipped. Worship the Lord Jesus. He is far superior to angels. As powerful and as magnificent as angels are, could I tell you something? They can't do a thing for you if you're unsaved. Only Jesus, the Savior, can do for you what you need. You need to be saved. As wonderful as angels are, you can do without angels, but you cannot do without Jesus, the Savior. You need him. I need him. And here's something quite amazing. He doesn't want to do without you. <laughs> That's amazing. The Bible doesn't tell us about how God feels about angels, but the Bible does tell us about, he feels about how he feels about us. For God so loved the world that he demonstrated it by giving that which was most precious and irreplaceable, his only one-of-a-kind begotten son for the purpose of redeeming the world and that none in it would perish. The Bible tells us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. God doesn't indicate those sentiments with reference to angels, but he does with reference to us. And so, though angels are quite attractive, no angel could ever love you as much as the living Savior, the Lord Jesus, desires to love you. Could I encourage you tonight to join with the angels in heaven in worshiping this Jesus, the Savior, and in resisting his saving love not one more minute. Why don't you say, oh God, who has the capacity to speak into existence, even mighty angels, come into my life and speak into my life forgiveness and cleansing and right standing and adoption into your family. And then, oh yes, thank you for angels as resources at your disposal for my benefit and your glory. But first, Lord Jesus, no angel suffered and died on a cross for me, but you did. Come into my life, forgive my sin. And then, folks, if you're to do that tonight, I tell you, you're a new creature. And the adventure of understanding and experience is the treasure trove of spiritual blessing including angels, that God has for you begins and will not cease from this day forward on into eternity. Your fascination with angels <laughs> ought to lead you to even greater fascination with the maker of angels. Lord Jesus, therefore, we bow before you. Worthy are you, the Lamb who was slain, no angel suffered and died. No angel could have paid the price for the horrid sin which we have committed and which characterizes us. We are violators of your commandments, they being righteous and good and holy, and we being filled with an inclination to sin. I suppose much like the fallen chief angel, 
Satan uh, rebelling against you and wanting to do our own and independent thing. How I pray in the power of your spirit and even through the agency of angels at your disposal, you would go now even through this place, stirring up the heart and mind and will of some who have not yet confessed. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have violated your holy laws. I owe you a debt I cannot pay. I believe you paid it for me by suffering and dying in my place and by rising from the dead. Therefore, living Savior, come and inhabit me. So fill me that there be no room for any other spirit. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks.